0: fearfully and wonderfully made, and what about the body of Christ? Let's talk about it with Philip Yanzi on Steve Brown, Etc.
1: He's he's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, Etc.
0: We are so glad that you're here. I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Uh, Matthew Porter is with us and has finally lost a few pounds. (laughs) As those in our television audience can see, he says the secret is he stopped hanging out with certain ladies. Little Debbie, Betty Crocker, Tara <laughs> Lee, Aunt Jemima,
2: Kathy Wyatt. <laughs> by, true, b- huh? by the way, I found those pounds. You, you found <laughs> them? Yeah. yeah. And I got
0: a few of them too. Uh, you know, if he keeps this up, he's going to turn sideways and disappear. Yeah. Or the old line when you take a shower, you look like a zipper and stuff like that.
3: I think we're a good ways away from that <laughs> yet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Our producer, Jinx, is working hard in the little glass booth per usual, as calm as a Hindu cow, and twice as handsome.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: At least. I didn't write that, man. <laughs> <laughs> just going to say? I you know another. that was a Fight Club <laughs> yeah. thing. Our, our no. video director, John Myers, is in the tech bunker or at least I hope he is, can't see him through the glass window. And then George Bingham, the president of Key Life, Dr. George Bingham, a true financial expert, even when he reads the story in Exodus about the golden calf, he thinks... Foolish Israelites, you never put everything into gold. <laughs> <laughs> then, well, what would 10% of that and, be? I was just gonna,
1: yeah, I was just wondering about that myself.
0: Mm. And then Kathy, of course, is the soft feminine side of the program. The straw that stirs the drink. The dilithium crystal on our Starship Enterprise. The meat, That means she makes... Things happen around here. It's true. Man, I've been looking forward to talking to Philip Yancey. I thought he died. <laughs> <laughs> One more old white guy. <laughs> One more old white guy, Another yes. old white guy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Philip Yancey's written 25 books, including bestsellers, Disappointment with God, Where's God When It Hurts. He currently has more than 15 million books in print. I have 373. <laughs> <laughs> uh, published in more than 40 languages worldwide, and his newest book, uh, well, it's not new, it's kind of old. He worked on it and got it right this time, <laughs> but I hold it in my nicotine stained fingers. It's titled Fearfully and Wonderfully. Uh, The Marvel of Bearing God's Image. Philip, it's so good to have you with us, and I really mean that.
4: I've always enjoyed being on your program. Thanks so much, Stephen. And you should... You should consider a second career in comedy, too. Yeah,
0: yeah right. That's true. If this preaching thing doesn't work out, I'll try. As long as Matthew Porter writes the lines, then right. I'm home free. This is sit-down
3: comedy, not Listen, stand-up. I've got a
0: personal question uh, okay. to start things off. I've been reading this book again and being blessed again with it. Uh I read the introduction this morning, and what you said about Dr. Brand, um, well, it brought tears to my eyes. It was mm. just so moving and profound. And if you say, I wept, I'll say you lied, because real men don't cry. But I, <laughs> but it really was moving. But it was also puzzling. If you hang out with a guy like that, where did you get the grace thing? Are you crazy? This is worse than reading the law of God in the Old Testament. I would feel guilty forever if I hung out with Bran for five minutes. And yet you wrote one of the best books on grace I've ever read. How did you pull that off? I mean, I would think you would go in a corner and just repent and Feel really guilty for the rest of your life?
4: Actually, the contrary. When I was, we were a strange couple. I call this the odd couple. I was in my mid 20s. This is coming right after the 1960s. Uh, nobody trusted anybody over 30. We were questioning everything in society, everything in the Bible. And I didn't know what to believe. I was coming out of a pretty bad church situation, troubled family, not sure if the whole faith thing was worth it or was true. And when I I started as a journalist working as a magazine editor, I thought, man, wouldn't it be great to be around famous people? (laughs) Um, You know, today it would be like Beyonce, Justin Bieber, you know, people like that. Wow, that'd be great. (laughs) Because we're in a celebrity culture, and that's who gets on the covers of magazines. And I did interview a few of them, um, some football stars, some actors, some politicians, a couple of presidents. And frankly, I went away saying, I don't really want to be like that. I don't want that kind of life it's not much of a life, the celebrity life. You're, you're on guard constantly. You know people are trying to get something from you. And we know from the divorce rates in Hollywood and the drug addiction rates, you know, it yeah. doesn't solve all the problems. It introduces new problems. And uh, quite by accident, I came across this Dr. Paul Brand, uh, who became a, a father figure for me. My father died when I was a year old. It was back in the days of the polio epidemics in the 1950s. And so I never knew him. I had no memories. Men kind of scared me. And, and then um, I, I fell into the lap, really, <laughs> of, of this uh, person who was a British surgeon in his 60s who had spent most of his life in India. But so what an odd combination, this, this young kind of post-hippie and then uh, this wise saint in a lot of ways. And I followed him around. I was not capable of writing about my own faith at the time. I didn't know what I believed. But I was quite content to write about Dr. Brand's faith because I saw it lived out in front of me. And in the process of doing that, and I followed him around for about 10 years back in the late 1970s, early 1980s, when I emerged, I thought, well, I think that's what God had in mind with the human race. Mm. It, you, you prayed off air, I believe, Steve, and, and you prayed very simply, may, may we please you, God. Mm-hmm. And I decided that's why we're here. That's why the whole universe exists. That's why there are human beings. We are here to bring God pleasure. And I looked at Dr. Brand and said, that's how you bring God pleasure. I, I didn't feel sorry for him, even though he's working with leprosy patients in India, you know, <laughs> In fact, uh, I've never met anyone more full of gratitude and joy, and so I wanted to be like this guy. And when I look back on the people I've interviewed, they kind of fall into two categories, categories of stars, and those are the celebrity people, and another category that I call servants. Because Dr. Brand never tried to call attention to himself. He was there to serve, to serve actually the lowest people on the entire planet, people with leprosy and the untouchable caste. Now called Dalits in India. I mean, that's that's the bottom. And yet, uh, he lived out what Jesus said. He said, "You don't find your life by acquiring more and more, which is the American way. You find your life by giving it away." And he did that, and he actually found his life. And I learned, boy, I've got to uh, I've got to learn lessons from him. And uh, the grace thing. You know, a true saint doesn't make you feel guilty. A true saint makes you want to be better. Yeah. And when I saw him reaching out to the undeserving, that was a model of grace, a model of what God does for us. These leprosy patients had nothing to offer, no money, uh, nothing. And yet he would spend years in some cases reshaping their hands, reshaping their feet. Why? Because he cared, because he loved. And that's what God does for us.
0: You know, I loved reading about him. Again, I knew a little, and uh, he's kind of like Mother Teresa on steroids, <laughs> without without the PR. Um,
4: and Protestant to boot.
0: <laughs> yeah, total <your> package. <laughs> Did, was he uncomfortable with you and knowing that you were going to put this on paper and, and he was going to become a star and all that?
4: Well, we certainly had no idea uh, when we started. I remember when I when I first went to a publisher and they said, So describe this book. I said, Well, it's uh it's about this British surgeon who lives in India and their eyes kinda rolled. You know, Americans mm-hmm. don't like to read about stuff like that. And he works among uh with a disease leprosy and then they look at each other and say, What? <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, neither of us thought the book really had much chance of going anywhere. And and of the people I've interviewed, most people I do articles about, they want me to make them look better. He was the first person who made wanted me to make him look worse. He was a very deeply humble person.
0: Philip, hold and on right there. I will we'll pick up on the other side of the break, guys. You don't. You just don't want to miss a bit of this. This is a wonderful book. You got to get it. It will haunt you the rest of your life, and you'll be better for it. For us, this is hard work. We've got to make a buck, and we got to rest. But like Jesus, we're coming back.
5: Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini-book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini-books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini-book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation Of $4.
0: We're talking with Philip Yancey, and uh, he has a new old book, Fearfully and Wonderfully The Marvel of Bearing God's Image. Actually, it's two old books combined uh within the one book um philip we we were talking about dr paul brand i I'm absolutely blown away with him i'm a cynical old preacher and, and uh you know I have trouble in lots of places, mainly with me but when i but but when I read about somebody like Paul Brand and your Writing those two or three pages that absolutely blew me away. I just thought, Lord, this stuff may be true after all. (laughs) Talk a little bit more about him if you want, and then we'll get into some of the issues in the book.
4: Sure, I'd love to. He was a very accomplished surgeon. He actually started in construction at first as, as a kind of engineer, and that later came in handy as he's trying to devise tools that he could use with leprosy patients so they wouldn't hurt themselves. But along the way, he uh, he invented all sorts of hand surgery techniques. Back then, when you read the surgical textbooks, it would say things like, put moderate tension on this tendon that you attach to your thumb or something. And moderate tension, well, <laughs> that's... That's, pretty, that's a lot of latitude there, and that can make a difference on whether you can ever move that thumb again. So he took his engineering principles and applied them in a textbook that became rather famous. And But he spent his life on purpose. Here he was offered at one point the head of orthopedics at Stanford University, at Harvard, and at wow. Oxford. Hmm. He turned all of those down, and instead worked on a leprosarium in a very hot, miserable part of India because he he saw the need. There were, at the time, 12 million people with leprosy and not one orthopedic surgeon working to correct some of the deformities that they had. Mm. And it was a great uh, practice ground. Leprosy patients don't feel pain, and he could actually do surgery on them Without using anesthetics, they would say, here, try, try my hand, try my left hand, try my right hand. Oh. It cost them nothing, and sometimes it worked. And o- over the years, he became rather renowned, was uh, made commander of the British Empire by the Queen, had these invitations and, and won awards. But he always felt so uncomfortable. He didn't like dressing up, wearing ties. He always had a little speck of blood on his tie or something. You know? <laughs> and... and He really came into his own uh, when he's dealing with these individual patients. And so many times I would sit there and he'd start telling me a story and and begin weeping. And a friend of mine said, I've seen doctors weep. I've never seen an orthopedic surgeon weep. They're a different kind. They're They're a different breed, breed, man. They don't care. (laughs) (laughs) But that was the kind of person he was. And part scientist, part engineer, part theologian, part compassionate physician. And then he came up with these reflections on the body of Christ and lessons that he learned from the physical body, the human body that we all have, and drawing analogies, combining all of those different fields that uh, he lived. When I, when I first came across a little group of chapel talks he gave, which is where this book originated, I thought, man, this is gold. I've never heard anybody think like this. And I asked him, could I just take this and take it as far as I can go? Well, times change. Um, science changes. Back when we started, DNA had barely been discovered. You know? <laughs> a long time ago. Medicine changes. Readers change. Readers are are much more intolerant today than they used to be because we're used to reading on the Internet and flipping from one thing to another. And I, I didn't want his legacy to be lost, so I took those original books and spent about a year reshaping them, uh, honing them, editing them, adding some new stories that hadn't been published before, and trying to come up with a, a book for a new generation of readers.
0: Did you make many corrections?
4: I did. Uh, I don't know if you've ever taken a look at something you wrote 35 years ago, Steve. No, I don't humiliating. Do that. I'm,
0: all, <laughs> I'm already depressed. I don't need that. Yeah. But you got a chance even to help apply that.
4: everything you've learned in the meantime and try to make it better, so... It's better than starting from scratch. I'll tell you that, but it, it can be humiliating in the process.
3: <laughs> you know, well, you mentioned that editing process. You know, as you're reading the book, it's 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 uh, first person with Doctor Brand. You know, describing all these different events and and phenomenon. But just specifically, you know, when you talk about the the World War II bombings, it's just. It, but it reads so modern. It was it was. Um, it didn't feel dated or stifled or in any way. It was really it was really cool to hear that kind of voice that was when you do the math a very long time ago, but it feels like a very modern and brisk read. Um early on you talk there's a story that, that kind of reflects the subtitle of, of of the book um Us uh being the image of God. Um but what's brought up is that now, however many, thirty, thirty five years later, the word image uh, it's got some dings on it there's yeah. there's it's got a little bit more baggage than uh, originally. Can you talk a little bit about what it means now, what it's supposed to mean, and how you know we might need to redeem that word a bit
4: right yeah we we're speaking shortly after some of the presidential debates, and every time you have one of those, somebody says something stupid. And immediately, no. oh, you know it. You have the gift, the gift of discernment. Do you? That's right. And immediately, there's a whole group of, of image makers who who are employed to cover the tracks of stupid politicians. <laughs> you know, they've got to keep this image, and maybe they need to apologize, or maybe they need to. Uh, batten down, you know. That's what—that's up to the image makers, and the, the whole thing is to create the right image, not not truth necessarily, but image. And and that's almost the opposite of of the word as it's used in the Bible. If you go back to Genesis, the story of creation, it's almost like God is repeating Himself over and over. In the image of God, He created them, male and female. In the image of God, image of God, it goes it goes on and on, like four times. And when I reflect on that, frankly, the the best phrase that expresses what I think that means is an old Southern phrase. You may have heard it. A little baby's born, and people stand around and look at this baby and say, he's a spitting image of his daddy. (laughs) I don't know what what the spitting has to do with it, but the spitting image of his daddy and you look at that little baby, and then you look up, and his dad's six feet tall, 180 pounds, wearing overalls, and you say, Say, what? You know? <laughs> they don't look alike. But hmm. somehow there's something in that baby, the hook of his nose, or uh, where his eyes are set, or his chin, whatever, that reminds people of his father genetically. And I think that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. It's supposed to be a body, the visible presence of God on earth, so that when you look at that body, you say, oh, that's what God is like. Somehow that reminds me
0: of God. Oh, man, that is so good. I can hardly stand it. If you want some more of this, you won't go anywhere else. Um, if you're listening on the radio, uh, you can uh, get a copy of this book, and you can study it in a small group And your lives will be changed, and you'll rise up and call Philip Yancey blessed. More to come. Don't go anywhere.
5: From Key Life comes two mini-books, What Do You Do for a Living?, and Life After Retirement. What Do You Do for a Living by Justin Holcomb addresses the problem of defining ourselves by what we do and how we perform in our work instead of by who we know. A gracious, loving God who defines who we are. Life After Retirement by Steve Brown examines how those transitioning from work to retirement often experience a loss of purpose in life. And how the quest for personal significance can best be answered by God's radical grace, love, and purpose for our lives sufficient to carry us through this transition. What do you do for a living and life after retirement can help guide people struggling with either work or retirement. These two Key Life mini books are available through KeyLife.org for a donation of $6.
0: To Steve Brown, etc., and our guest is uh, Philip Yancey. By the way, you can uh, you can find out more about Philip Yancey at philipyancey.com. dot com. That's simple, creative. Makes one sense. L. Makes sense. That'll work. <laughs> That's Philip with one L. So don't screw it up. Just because he's so humble and stuff like that. Just
2: one L dude, yeah, uh, more so than the two L Phillips. Oh, those guys. <laughs> yeah,
0: Philip, you and I both have a mutual friend who's now in heaven. His name was Fred Smith. Mm-hmm. By the way, I did Fred's funeral, and he spoke at his funeral, which was an interesting thing, and leads. And you know I was getting ready to get up and speak and there were five big screens around this large auditorium and I look up and there's Fred grinning at everybody. Oh boy. <laughs> and he said he said for the you know he was he said there's so many people here it'd be a shame for me not to say something. <laughs> he recorded it a week before he died and he said to my friends who don't know Christ one of the great gifts of my life was knowing you. And for those of you who did know Christ, I'll see you later. And it it was just so good. (laughs) But at any rate, speaking of death and stuff like that, when uh, Maxie Jarman, who was Fred's mentor, died, uh, I figured that Fred would be devastated because he loved Maxie. And Maxie was a father figure to Fred. And I called up Fred, and I said, man, it's got to be a hard time for you. And he said, well, it is in some ways. But he said, I was with Maxie for so much. Talked to him with thousands of conversations that we still talk. There isn't a single subject that I wouldn't know exactly what he would say and how he would say it. When I was reading uh, this new book, old new book, Old new books, um, and you're quoting. You're quoting Dr. Brand. Was there some of that going on where there was still a conversation? Now we're not doing the medium thing and the spiritual. <laughs> right, we're not thing. channeling. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing that. But and I don't mean that. But were there times when you could hear his voice in your head as you wrote?
4: I remember speaking at his funeral. your funeral scene reminded me of this, and uh, people came from all over the world, it was held out in Seattle, and I uh, kind of struggled through and said, um, we had this unusual exchange, I gave words to his faith, and in the process, he gave faith to my words. Oh, man. And um, I was just given this gift, this great man, at a time when I was unsure of, of where I stood. When he, when he died, the phrase I came up with, I was, I was on the way uh, to New Zealand, actually. We were able to reroute the plane and stop by, or reroute our, our trip and stop, stop by Seattle and see him just before he died. And uh, I was just sobbing. I woke up one day just sobbing. And I, the phrase that occurred to me was, I'm not ready to walk alone. He had been so much my, my guide, my mentor and it, it did take some time for me to grow up you know i was already 50 or so but i i really wasn't ready i had leaned on him for wisdom and insight but over those years of course i made all these recordings i made uh, notebooks full of notes and and asked him every question i could think of so in a sense he he was still alive he was there in those words and um, in going over this book, I was able to revisit them, and I, I could hear again
2: yeah. and
4: see again those situations where we're sitting out in a porch in India or in a patient's home, hearing a story and seeing Doctor Brand interact or, or even examine. He he fell um, and hit his head on a banister. He was carrying a book, a box of books upstairs, <laughs> and was uh, had bleeding on the brain. But when I went to the hospital to see him right before he died, I reached down and kissed his forehead, which had been shaved for surgery, and, and he grabbed my hand. Now, he's completely comatose, has no conscious movement. And he starts examining it like a hand surgeon. It was, it was so ingrained in him after spending his career doing that, that even though he was unconscious and his brain was full of blood and it wasn't really working, that was his instinct. It had become that instinctual.
0: Oh man! Listen, do you? Uh, why don't you pose the question?
1: Okay, and then and,
0: and we'll use it as a teaser. That's okay. what we refer to in the industry. <laughs> and then when we come back, Phil can address your question. So, what would you ask?
1: Well, my my question deals with the fact that in the book, Philip, um, there are some really um, lovely parallels between uh, our physical bodies and the body of Christ, and. And I just wondered if you could talk about uh, some of those metaphors that stand out to you the most when we get back, because we're down to
4: to 12
1: seconds. So I want to hear more than 12 seconds worth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right, guys. What we're going to do is we're going to play some bumper music, which should start now. And then... Wow, uh, you're
1: magic. Oh, I know. Just your
0: word makes it happen. Just a... (laughs) Flip of my Steve and I eyebrow. Are on the
2: same team. I got some buttons. You tell when to push it.
0: Our uh, guest is uh, Philip Yancey. And uh, by way of Philip Yancey, Dr. Paul Brand. The book is fearfully and wonderfully The Marvel of Bearing God's Image. There is such good stuff coming up. Anybody ask you what you're listening to? You tell them, Steve Brown, etc, stick your nose in the air and say, "And you're not?" <laughs> Don't go away. Like Jesus, we're coming back. I went to see a friend in the hospital the other day, I asked him how he was doing, and he said, "I'm doing really well, thanks to the doctor." Then for the next 10 minutes, he told me about how skilled the doctor was, how, how compassionate, how wise. And then he said, you know, Steve, it was almost worth getting sick just to know this doctor. Sometimes I feel that way about God. Now, don't take this the wrong way. But listen, sometimes I'm glad that I'm a sinner. And sometimes I'm glad life is hard. It's worth it all just to know the doctor, Jesus, the great physician. I'm Steve Brown. You think about that. Hey, share what you just heard with a friend. Go to youthinkaboutthat.com. To Philip Yancey, and his book is fearfully and wonderfully the marvel of bearing God's image. You got to get this book; you really do. And you gotta, you gotta uh, get the people in your small group to get it. This is the kind of book that you'll study for a year or more, and you'll be better for it.
1: Philip, before the before the break, we were—I was mentioning that this book really has some lovely parallels between our physical bodies and the body of Christ—and asking if you um, would talk about some of uh, those metaphors that really stand out uh, in your mind the most.
4: I would love to do that. There aren't many books of analogies around, and as a writer, it was a real challenge to to hold off the balance between. <laughs> the stories and the, and the theology and the science and the medicine and all that. But I think they do fit together just because they did so well in, in Dr. Brand himself. I'll mention a couple. One is okay. unity and diversity. My goodness, we're living in a very divided society right now. And diversity gets a lot of attention. Everybody makes sure they have diversity covered. But it's a society that many would say is splintering apart. We don't know how to have unity and diversity at the same time. Organizations aren't very good at that. Dr. Brand takes a look at the physical body and says, you look at a blood cell, a bone cell, a nerve cell, and you line them up and you say, wait a minute, (laughs) they're completely different. (laughs) One of them is long and skinny, one of them is is fat and small, you know? (laughs) we have a different standard of, of worth. The standard, the measure of worth in a physical body is, what are you contributing to the whole? And Paul makes it so clear. He says, what if, you had, what if the whole body was an eye? And I, I kind of think of a, a big blob, you know, six feet tall on a the stage there. Wow, what a very <laughs> impressive eye. And Paul says, totally worthless unless it's connected to the rest of the body. And our job is not to be smarter than somebody else or to achieve more or to have higher rank. Our job is to serve the body according to the gifts that God has given. So that's, that's one example. Um, another one is the example of pain. The uh, disease leprosy, all it does really is destroy nerve cells, and people don't feel, feel pain anymore and they actually Dr. Brand discovered this they actually destroy their own bodies because they don't have that protective sense of pain the entire time we've been talking i blink every few seconds we all do we don't feel the pain but if you if you say i'm going to hold my eyes open for an hour i guarantee you you're going to feel some yeah. pain you got a little pain cell that makes you blink at a subconscious level well leprosy patients lack that pain cell so they leave their eyes open all day long and about a third of them go blind uh, Same reason we're shifting around, you know, we cross and uncross our legs, shift from one side of our backside to the other side of our backside, and if you don't do that, you go to a hospital and look at somebody with bed sores, that's what would happen. We have little pain cells that force us to move around and spread the weight around. If you sit on the same group of cells for four or five hours, you will get a bed sore, which can be fatal sometimes when it gets infected, and as Dr. Brand says, if I had one gift to give my leprosy patients, it would be the gift of pain. Pain, he says, a healthy body isn't a body that feels no pain. A healthy body is a body that attends to the pain of the weakest part. Mm-hmm. Boy, that applies directly to the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Where are Christians suffering? Maybe it's because of a natural disaster. Maybe it's because of oppression by a hostile government. We can't just silence them. We can't just pretend they don't exist. Our job is to suffer with them, to bear them up in prayer, to feel the pain of the weakest part. And I could go, I could go on and on. Um, skeletons. You know, we we need we need firm foundations for movement to work. There are certain things that start with the Ten Commandments. There are certain things. This is how humans work best as individuals and in society. But, as christians, you want you don't want to lead with the skeleton you If you shake hands with a skeleton, it hurts. you feel about four <laughs> pressure points, you know, and, and so you don't go around broadcasting uh, how legalistic you are that That's the opposite. instead, what we present to the outside world should be soft and compliant and warm, like skin, full of fat cells, so that uh, when you when you shake hands with somebody it feels good you're you're making a connection. So there are all sorts of analogies directly like that between the physical body and the spiritual body of Christ.
3: You know, another kind of indirect thing that happens when reading this this book is you get this kind of uh, welcoming insight into how the body works. It's very much, it, it talks on a technical level, but it's accessible. It's completely accessible to a dumb-dumb like me. And you start to understand a little bit about how these systems work. You know, there's a passage in there that talks about a near a car accident that right. Dr. Brand was in. And it's not that you just reflexed your body and and got it out of the way. The the, the the blood was kind of shunted away from the surface level of the skin. The, uh, the eyes dilated so that more light could go in. There's dozens of actions that happen in a split second. And you read about enough of these in kind of the infinite complexity of the body and kind of a roundabout message of the book is like, are you trying to tell me that just kind of randomly happened? I mean it's not that kind of a book, but there's no way escaping. You're like, this is just an inescapable conclusion that this is a masterfully designed uh organism.
0: By somebody.
3: By somebody. <laughs> sure, didn't just it's not a lump of cells, I'll tell you that. Not one. random mutations over centuries. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So this is very powerful. Well and well,
4: and, of course, the, the phrase fearfully and wonderfully, somebody yeah. asked me, yes. why why that word fearfully? Well, of course, in, in King James Bible, that meant fills me with awe. Mm. Um, and that comes from Psalm 139 that says we are knit together in our mother's womb. Um, we are fearfully and wonderfully designed as well as made.
2: Mm. Well, and, and to your point earlier, uh, you know, the idea of the diversity, even in the example that Matthew was talking about, how all those parts are reacting to that one event for the good of the whole, you know, and, and trying to uh, bring whatever resources are available to bear for the good of the whole. And I, it it strikes me with, you know, you were talking about all the discussion on diversity uh, in our political culture, and we seem to lose track of, you know, the... the uh, diversity not really having any real significance unless there is some kind of point of unity absolutely, to, yeah. to kind of bring those together. And uh, it sounds like, uh, you know, Dr. Brand's uh, capability of viewing both the spiritual body as well as the intimacy with the knowledge of the physical body would provide such an example of that.
4: I had the privilege of not only interviewing him, and uh, recalling all of the anatomy he had learned years ago, but spending a lot of time in libraries back then, anybody remember libraries? Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, discovering the fearful, fearfully and wonderfully made body for myself. Mm. And it was such a a privilege, it, it helped me befriend my body, my physical body, to learn these things that were going on that I was never aware of. That was the easy part, the hard part is, okay. How do we, as the church, as the body of Christ, show that same beautiful design to us? That's our our call. That's our mission.
0: Mm -hmm. Philip, the time's up, and you are dynamite. Thank you for spending the time with us. And I hope this sells millions of copies. (laughs) Bless you, brother. Well, stay on the line, and I'll hire
4: you as my publicity agent. Thank you, Steve. (laughs)
5: Hi, this is Eric, producer of Steve Brown, etc. If you've been listening very long, you know I'm a struggling believer, and I'd love to share some things that have helped. At Key Life, we believe that the deepest message of the ministry of Jesus and the Bible is the radical grace of God for sinners and sufferers. And we have four mini books that'll help you believe that no matter what you've done or what you're going through, God's not mad at you. Feeling Guilty, Suffering, and Faith and Doubt by Steve Brown will help you apply healing biblical truth to where it hurts the most. And my mini-book, The Gift of Addiction, How God Redeems Our Pain, shows that coming to the end of ourselves is actually the beginning of faith. These four mini-books are in the Grace for Sinners and Sufferers mini-book combo, and it's available at keylife.org for a suggested donation of $12. They're also individually available for a suggested donation of four dollars
0: oh man, a great hour with mm-hmm. uh, him George you were talking about your undergraduate days and your major and you made a really cool observation
2: well i i uh long time ago, my undergraduate was in biomedical engineering and and got a little exposure to what they were calling rehabilitation engineering, which was designing for disabled. And one of the observations that I made in doing a little bit of work in that area was that so many of the things that are designed for people are very individualistic. I mean, you don't have usually mass market types of Correcting correcting or enabling type devices for people to use. And just thinking in terms of uh Dr. Brand trying to address a population of twelve million people with Good leprosy night, and yeah. all kinds of things, that must that in itself must have taken a great leap of faith.
0: Oh, you can imagine. He must have been like a mosquito in a noobus <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, uh, <laughs> well, there'd be a little less flesh. Yeah, no, right. no, 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 no. <laughs> this, uh, this was a
0: refreshing hour. You know, sometimes things build you up and you think about them a long time and you feel a little bit better about going to the dentist and having to do all the stuff you got to do. And I feel a little bit better about it. You ought to get this book. It really is a great small group discussion book. It's, uh, as Matthew said, it's very usable. You know, you you think this is going to be really complicated, and I don't want to plow through it, but it's not. It's very user-friendly, and it creates all kinds of thoughts you never thought before and discussions you never had before. And I trust, since you're on a roll, that whoever will be with us next week will accomplish exactly the same thing. What a thing.
1: stellar segue that was.
0: Who's going to be on next week?
1: Actually, I I didn't even know this, but we have a executive producer personal favorite next week. Jinx, uh, Jinx is one of Jinx's personal favorites. Jessica Thompson, who also happens to be Elise Fitzpatrick's daughter, and Jess has a new book out called how to help your anxious teen um and i'm sure there's like nobody out there in the listening audience that has a problem with an anxious teen um i mean i'm just sure because all teenagers are just so happy all the time
2: yeah mine are yeah i won't i
0: won't say it on the broadcast next week but frankly Give it up. There's nothing you can do about teenagers.
3: (laughs) I mean, it's hopeless. You just pray
0: they don't kill somebody or do something that isn't fixable before they reach the age of 32. (laughs) Wow, that's way
1: past being a teenager. Hey,
0: guys, we're out of here. But we're going to come back next week. Same time, same place. You join us. And between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. And that gives you a wide, wide berth.